The Caliendo Cast with Frank Caliendo, John Holmberg, Scott Long, and the rest of the Caliendo crew. It's the most important podcast in the history of Western civilization. So our guest today, Todd McFarlane, and uh, I think I bet you a lot of people, he's probably been asked this question a million times where people think he's Seth McFarlane too, that are outside of the uh, hey, family guy. Oh, that's not me. That's not me. Um, and I've been working on my Todd McFarlane impression, but he's known for Spawn, uh, which is his original creation. He went and created Image Comics that is his own version of, you know, almost a semi-private uh, version of marvel and dc it's his own thing uh but i don't know what our just like harlan coben i don't know what our audience will know about him uh so i th- that's that's what a lot of this is going to be is some general questions uh, up top and just i, I got a uh, scott asked me how i met him I'm like well no, that's part of the podcast i want people to hear that yeah. because it's it is just so cool how that came about but we have uh stephen mauer little stevie mauer uh and john menti waiting in the wings for the end of the show because we don't have Salehi with us this week. He's graduating uh, as we record this. So they're going to get into the nerd versions of the questions that we might ask throughout the show. So I wanted to see what you guys even knew about Todd. Is Salehi going to be done now? uh, Because I've been waiting for that. Well, he's actually graduating from school. He's going to be... Yeah, done with that. But he's going, he's going to now be always uh, – you're going to go to school and he's going to be on the podcast. Oh, uh, that's what I was say. afraid of. Okay, technically, this podcast, we're all unpaid interns. So, <laughs> well, Frank, do, do I'm you an teach- in-debt intern on this thing. You're going the wrong way. I mean, this is oh, just this is not – HHM a good- isn't paying the bills, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, going to school, you say I would go to school. Have you been teaching your kids – as part of the pandemic, because that is part of the deal. We are homeschool teachers now. They're already past me. Joey's in calculus. Mm, nice. He's a fifteen-year-old yeah. in calculus, so Yeesh. it's it's just beyond. Um, Do you I just really, work on impressions with Juliet all day? Is that is that that's like good. We're getting into it. She's she's getting better. She's she's kind that's of a smart. Thing. So good. She's kind of a mini blonde Melissa Villasenor. So I, I think that who who she is, Frank. She is your Tim Conway, and you are Harvey. <laughs> yeah, I become Harvey Corman with her. Yeah, she, I uh, anytime I come up with a line too, I give it to her. So yeah. if and I didn't come up with the last ones when she did the Trump, that was her lines because I said he, I said I said Trump does this with her hands, his hands, and she goes like Barbie. I go yeah, and then she goes, Barbie lives in the dream house, and I live in the White House. I'm like, you wrote that joke like that? Holy line. crap! That yeah, the only pretty- difference is the Harvey to Tim height ratio will change. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it's actually close. I I I, I, I tower over uh, I tower over her. That's the one person is Juliet. So, what do you guys know about Todd? What do you guys know about Todd McFarlane? I've had him on my radio show. It's been a long time, but about uh, well, my old show, the one I did before this in uh, twenty-one years ago, Todd came in. And did uh, a little deal. And it was right as, because he's in Phoenix, he was buying Mark McGuire's baseball. 
uh, the home runs that he purchased Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's baseballs. And he bought that home run 70 that McGuire had for $3 million, which is amazing because he also owns Barry Bonds' 73rd home run, and that he bought for 300000 because the baseball market fell apart thanks to McGuire and Sosa. And it's, there's an interesting story behind that, and we can get into it with him on how, he, how much money he spent on the baseball and how much money he spent on Spawn. Really? Yeah, and it's, he's, it's a great story. He tells a great story. But I've, I've known of Todd's, – Todd's been in Phoenix for years um, and, and uh, was, had a store here up by the hockey arena for a while, and he's been kind of a, a local underground nerd legend who became super not nerd legend and, uh, and has, you know, story after story. He's a sports fanatic. I mean, I think when he came on our show, he was here to promote something, and we, we ended up talking about baseball for an hour. He just Did you know baseball encyclopedia. Yeah, I, that, I'm worried about Scott asking a question that is a baseball encyclopedia. <laughs> I know. Uh, did, <laughs> did you know he did, his company designed a logo for KUPD? They did? That's what, that's what his uh, PR lady told me, Carmen. Could be. That's yeah, very she, she said, and I said, would he remember that? She's like, probably not. I'm like, but you, you can ask How him long ago? Because he used to be, he used said to do 12 stuff. years ago. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, what? You know this. It was a, um, I think it was a, a poster for one of our concerts, actually. And he and he designed the the logo. That's I kind of vaguely remember. That. I don't know which one it was, but I do remember talking McFarland did. So I also had, you know, I told you I had Menti and Maurer waiting in the wings to do some nerd talk at the end, uh, and ask questions that we might not be privy to understanding because we're not at that level. But um, I said I had a great idea that was going to be for me and you, John, that we would, uh, after social distancing, we'd still have social distancing, but we could get out of the house a little bit more. I wanted to do a commercial with some of his new toys, playing with his toys as two adult <laughs> nerds. And then I'm like, with an 80s style commercial. And then they, luckily, because I was going to bring it up to him, the mentee and Maurer told me, or actually Maurer said, well, Kevin Smith just did that. And I was like, oh, you're kidding. I'm like, how long ago? He's like, a month ago. I'm like, that sucks. Kevin that was... Smith has screwed me twice in 2020, and I hasten to say that he might be the worst part of this year for me. <laughs> <laughs> for people who don't know, you had him on the show and you were talking He-Man, right? Yeah. The day before, we were talking He-Man, and I volunteered to do all the He-Man voices for him for free because he was redoing <laughs> Masters of the Universe. And he goes, you know what? Send me a tape. Well, I tried to get in contact with him and he goes, I'm not going to do the hiring for the voices for a long time. So, and I'm like, and I've talked to Kevin a bunch. And I'm like, you got it. And then the day I start doing the tape, you see the announcement of who's in there. And I just was like, why did you even lead me on? These are humongous names in, in cartoon and movie voiceover history. So why did, and he didn't respond. So Kevin Smith and I are on the opposite. <laughs> You're on the outs, but do a little man at arms because man at arms makes me laugh so much. Man at arms is just, um, What's his name? I can't even think of his name. Uh, Sam Donalds. Which I don't even know if I can if I can do it. Because at the end of the show, every time I hit the button to say goodbye at the end of the show, it goes, until next time, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> the man in arms you forgot was so nerdy. Like, all right, everyone, we have to listen to He-Man right now. But as we get back, I'm like, holy cow, he's just a news broadcaster. It's great. I didn't put together the Sam Donaldson thing. It's Sam Donaldson. It's the same thing. Well, that's Mr. exactly President. what I told you, He-Man. And that's when you don't listen, why bad things happen. Mr. President, uh, Mr. President. Yeah, Mr. President, Mr. President. Yeah, it's, he's the same. So it's just an exaggerated version. You play with it based on the old ones, and I'd have gotten that in a heartbeat. 
and uh, and free. You can't beat that price. But Kevin Smith evidently didn't think I was serious, and I lost the job. I never had jobs. Uh, period. Yeah, multiple well, jobs. I I never had them, and I'm collecting unemployment for it because I feel like I was that close. I got a text from Salehi. He wants to know who Sam Donaldson is. Can you, can you help me out with? <laughs> I was honestly thinking, now it's ingrained in my head that that's what Salehi does. So whenever yeah. there's an older reference, for well, those of make you who- a better student just in time for graduation is to take notes when you don't understand. So we helped him even after he was all done. Now in life, he'll just write down things he doesn't know, which is a good thing. We should, we should have him go to like a, a senior citizen's home and sit down after the coronavirus and have, <laughs> have him look obvious. things up. You know, and see if he knew anything. Not now. No, let's not. Yeah, no, no. Let's not send the youth into the old people homes quite yet. There may be a touch of a problem, Scott. I don't know if you've opened a paper here in the last twenty years. Yeah, is is there a uh, do you, what morning show in America, uh, Holmberg? Do you think is doing that gag right now? Who's sending? Uh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. I don't know, but we have Todd. So you guys ready for Todd? There's got to be one. They'll be fired soon. Yeah, sure. Todd, 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 Todd. <laughs> <laughs> he's falling down. Oh, God, he's okay. There's he's Todd connecting Carl. to audio. He's getting ready. He's... Big shot. Big shot. What's up? How are you? I'm killing it. Yeah, are you at home probably five blocks away from me? I am at home. Awesome. So I just want to start out with, uh, this is how I met Todd McFarlane. So I went to a Comic-Con, Ace Comic-Con in Phoenix, and uh, he lives here. I didn't even realize he lived here. I knew something, you know, some about Todd, but I, I was just getting into a lot more comic book stuff with Juliet, and she was getting into the MCU, and we were there to uh, see some of the movie stars and stuff like that. Well, we're at, uh, they had me do a little thing and I bombed terribly because I was in front of uh, Taron Egerton's audience and I'm trying to do Morgan Freeman. That's when Frank realized nobody in this audience <laughs> cared about a chubby guy. They wanted to see Taron Egerton. Um, so we're backstage, which was uh, in the green room and we were kind of just sitting around and trying not to bother too many people because it was 50-50 of whether I should have been there or not too. Uh, I was doing a little thing. It was one of these types of things. And this guy with just the most positive energy in the world walks up behind me and Juliet. And he goes, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. And he starts drawing. He's like, starts talking about um, Venom and talking about the creation of Venom. And he's drawing. And I'm like, he's drawing Venom. And then he starts to tell the story of creating Venom. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is Todd McFarlane. And Juliet's kind of not exactly sure what's going on at that point. And I go, pay attention because this is not a normal thing. This is pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, still to that, to this day, we have, he uh, was on the back. It was on the back of uh, the rundown for the Ace Comic Con where all the performers are going to come. It's, uh, this is unbelievable. I mean, it's just so cool. And uh, I don't know if you know this, and I've never even asked you this, Todd. My wife was recording it, and she probably wasn't supposed to be recording anything. And I, I was going to put it out as a post for this, uh, for this interview as part of the, uh, um, the promotion for it. And I'll ask you that off camera, so if you say no, I can pretend like I lost it. 
But can you tell that? I know you've told it a bunch, but just for these guys, even the story of creating Venom is just because you're a young guy at that point. Yeah. So um, I'm again, again, I'm working at Marvel at this point. My career is starting to blossom. I'm getting fast enough that I can now do two books in a month, right? Most artists can only do one book in a month. I I can do two. I'm, I'm starting to get fast enough. So I'm doing the Hulk and I'm looking for another book. And at this point, the, what they called the Spider-Man office was in disarray. Uh, nobody really wanted to do the books for whatever reason. I never found out why. And, and there's three Spider-Man books that came out at that point. Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Peter Parker. So depending on what week you walk, you get it. The character, who was their icon from Marvel Comics, uh, was floundering. He wasn't even really about the top 20. And so everybody was trying to figure out how do we get the Spider-Man up the ranks, up the ranks. So my, my artistic sort of talent started to grab a little bit of attention, especially with what I was doing. And then I to the office and they go, hey, Todd, well, uh, the editor says, I want you to do Spidey. And I, and I looked at Spider-Man and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he goes, you know, you, I'm going to hire you right now. You can do Spider-Man. Same thing. He was in a black costume. And I, and I, now again, let me just say, if a normal employee, when the boss says, we're going to give you the big icon character, you usually say, yes, sir. And you walk away with a smile. But that little teenage rebellion in me, I just want, hey, I'll make you a deal. I'll come draw Spider-Man under one condition. We get rid of that black costume. And they went, ah, that's a problem. The editor-in-chief uh, likes it. And it had something to do with the black costume. So I said, easy, because I'm Spider-Man unless he's red and blue, because I grew up in red. I'm not doing him in black. It's like doing Superman and polka dots. Not so I, I, I said, hey, how about this? I'll go create a new look, rip the costume off Peter Parker. We'll put it on this other guy. We'll have a new villain, and we'll, we'll have a win-win. We'll still have the black costume. And I get to draw Peter Parker in the red and blue costume. They thought about it for a bit and they went, all right, that seems fair. Uh, can you wait a couple issues? I had jumped on Amazing Spider-Man issue 298. They wanted to do this story in issue 300. So if you look in the catalogs of prices of books, Amazing Spider-Man 300, it's kind of expensive. Beginning of my career, it's an anniversary book. But more importantly, it's the origin of Venom. Now, to me, I don't consider that book the origin of Venom. I consider it the book so I can get that goddamn black costume off Peter Parker. (laughs) He was a throwaway. He was a throwaway, Frank, everybody. He was a, like, I just, I, it was a happy billion dollar accident for eventually for Sony in their movie that it was just, if I was a normal employee i would have said yes they probably i probably would have drawn it in the black costume for three years till marvel got bored of it and then they would have put him back in the red and blue eventually and there wouldn't be this character so i wish i could say it was all planned it was just dumb luck complete dumb luck do you still have that same type of uh what's the word i'm looking for yes non-conformity i mean it's like you like, uh, yeah, because you have the, you have to do as you grow old, get older, you know, you have to conform a little bit. You're in a business, you're a businessman, but you, you go outside the box, you do different things, you try different things. And 
that's still you. I mean, for, I don't know how much our audience at the beginning here knows about, I mean, you drew, drew Spider-Man differently. You changed things. You, this, the webbing became more intricate, this, the spaghetti webbing. Do you guys know what that is, where he, he really did a lot with the web instead of a single right, web? So, that, so let, me, let me see if I can tell you. Like, I came on Spider-Man, and essentially nobody had updated the look of it for about 25, 30 years, right? I, I came on trying to keep my, my career intact. I went, if I draw Spider-Man the same way everybody else does, it's not good for me. I'm going to get lost. So uh, the piece of the puzzle that, and again, you can ask Juliet, the piece of the puzzle, I don't think people give enough credit for, for a lot of jobs, but you know, in comic book creating for sure, is that we sit in a, we sit in a room for 12 hours a day by ourselves. That's it. That's what we do, Frank. Uh, and it can be pretty lonely. So if you're not entertaining yourself, it becomes drudgery and it becomes, it's work, it's work. So what you wanna do in your best day is sit in front of the table and do cool stuff. So every character I ever drawn in my life, I said, man, what would be cool? Oh, this would yeah. be cool. So for Spider-Man, here's the shift that I did, that to me, that made the big deal that blew my career up and got me in trouble with Marvel executives. They were doing Spider-Man. Emphasis on the man. And when I came, I go, no, 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 I want to do Spider-Man. I didn't really care about Peter Parker. So as soon as he put the costume on, I went, yeah, now he's just a big bug. It's cool. So again, I made the eyes way bigger. I tripled the webbing on his outfit. I made his, his costume a little darker. I put the webs back underneath his, his armpits. And then the big one you were alluding to was I reinvented the webbings. So that instead of it being like one like vine to me he used to move like to me what tarzan did swinging from vine to vine uh and so i i wanted to do something that was a little more three-dimensional but even more importantly i wanted to draw and create something that i could shoot towards camera like my hand right now and it would actually look like something cool uh the way they had designed it, it which was three lines and a bunch of x's you couldn't do it anyways uh i got in trouble the whole time but the whole time i was getting in trouble the sales were going up right and every time i'd go into new york they'd wag a finger and they go todd he's our icon you can't do this and i'm like yes sir let me also tell any young people here anytime your mom says to do something or your boss always say yes even if you're never going to do it always say yes it's way easier so i just would say yes and then i'd leave i keep doing it sometimes i do it even more just because i knew it would be about another 90 120 days before they actually looked again and then by the time they looked, sales were up a little bit higher. But the one time, you, you, you know, I just invented the web. We didn't have a name for it. But the editor-in-chief was an Italian guy. And he, I was in the office, and he got so mad that day. He got so mad at me. He was like, you got to stop it with the eyes. They look like big cannolis. And, they look <laughs> like, and then you got to stop doing the web. It looks like a... Like fucking uh, uh, bowling age, and then and god damn it, you gotta stop with the with the spaghetti webbings. And I always remember every time I left his office, I was always hungry. I, 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 in hindsight, I now remember why. But it was he, he when he said spaghetti webbing to me. All I remember wasn't stop doing it because he was so red in the face. It was wow, I got a name for it now. And 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 from there on, it was called which was apropos because it's what it looks like. It was called spaghetti webbing and I just kept doing it. And eventually, eventually they sort of backed off because the book 
went to number one. We took it from number 20 to number one. And then, and then they gave me my own book. I said I was going to leave Spider-Man, going to go write. I want to write. They said, Todd, hey, come on, come on, man. We want you to stay on Spider-Man. So they invented a new book for me. It set a record that still stands today for sales corporate um, by, by a single individual. Spawn later that I own. I own that record. I own both the corporate, non-corporate record for sale. But even on that book that was number one, they eventually came back and said, stop it, stop it. And that's where they wore me out, Frank. They just said, stop all that stuff that you're doing. Basically, you're selling more books than any other employee that we have. You got to stop doing that thing that's so successful. Like, stop hitting home runs, Todd. We need you to hit some doubles, maybe the, even the odd single. It was it was mind-numbing to me. I was just a little Canadian kid. I didn't understand the the ways of you Americans sometimes. So, uh, but that's just I plain thought, backwards I thinking by the, like old school thinking by them. They just don't want to budge. So they're even though they have, it's working, and they tell you stop. Just I uh, it might not have been it might not have been that way if it was any other character. But yet you have to understand who Spider Man was. He was like this is a public company, right? He was on their checks. He was on their stock reports. He was on their, everything that they had, they had like a little icon as Spider-Man. And I was like, I, 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 was, mess, I was messing with their icon, right? It was, like, it was like changing the horse, I guess, for Ford to them. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't look at that like, who cares what, the, what the, uh, the checks look like? That wasn't my job. My job was to sell as many comic books for you as possible. So what, what, I'm doing. what would you do with Mickey Mouse? What would I do with Mickey Mouse? Yeah, would you change? <laughs> if you're getting in trouble with Spider-Man, what would you do to Mickey Mouse? Yeah, I, 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 uh, well, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd figure out something. Frank, look at any any person that has any kind of career. You don't you don't want to be, you don't want to get lost. You don't want to get right. lost. And I I go up against at that point in my career. I'm up against a thousand different creators. I have to do something. I right. do something that would, you know, <laughs> grab a little bit of attention. And more importantly, it wasn't even that. It was just because. It was just cool stuff. I just want to do cool stuff with Spider-Man. And luckily, the readers wanted the same cool stuff that they were ready for a change after 30 years. So here's the thing. If the other people had been been upgrading the look of the character and been messing around with the character every five, six years since the creation of it when, when Stan Lee started it, then by the time I got there, what I did wouldn't have been noticed. It's just that everybody was in this time warp and it had gone into like this status and it looked like 1960s comics. So I'm in 1990s, I bring it up to date and it was like a 25 year jump and everybody's like, oh my God, you see what's happening over there. It shouldn't have happened, right? If they were doing their job, I should have just been another three year leap. No, I'm literally asking, what would you do to Mickey Mouse? Would you give him some better teeth? <laughs> Spaghetti Mouse? webbing? <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I think that his outfit's a little outdated. Um, I think the shoes don't quite fit. I'd make him a little bit more of a dude. Like, what do you, you know, I mean, come on, you can, here, here's the thing about Mickey Mouse. He doesn't, res, he doesn't resonate as much with the new audience as some of the Pixar characters do, right? So you uh -huh. have to make him, you have to make him more relevant. That's all I was doing. Look at, when I was doing Spider-Man, he was married to this girl named Mary Jane. She was a supermodel in the book. She was a supermodel, and it looked like she got all her clothes from Kmart. And she never went to the salon, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? 
like my wife's not a supermodel and she dresses better than that. So I, I, so that was a big shock. Like, why are you making her so sexy? And anyways, they just wore me out. Eventually they wore me out and, 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 and we started, we started our own revolution someplace. How old were you, Todd? How old were you when this was going on? How old was I? Yeah. Uh, that would have been, wow, that would have been about 90, 1990, 91. So I'm, I'm about 30. So. Okay. And then, okay, as the years have gone by, how do you feel like you stay relevant to a audience? How do you stay? You're not, how do you not become them? Or when you're overseeing other people putting stuff out? I, uh, good question. As a matter of fact, uh, we should pose this question to everybody younger than me, right? Why is the old man still relevant? I, yeah. It's ridiculous. I keep saying, why is Todd McFarland still relevant? If it was me, if it was me, if you went to the 24-year-old Todd and you said, Todd, uh, your competition's right over there. It's that 32-year-old dude. Shoot, that was an old man to me. I would have knocked that guy off. Like, what do you, I mean, I'm, I, I played Pac-10 baseball, so I, I'm competitive by nature. Uh, so to me, I, I don't understand why they've let me still have the career. And here's part of it. I got 301 issues. I created this new character, Spawn. I got 301 issues. We just got a Guinness Book of World Records for the longest running creator book ever in the history of mankind. Um, and it's hard to get some of them to do 10 issues. So I'm just going to beat them. I'm just going to beat them, not with skill. They're, they're, way, they're way faster. They're, way, they're smarter. They're, they're, they have more talent than me. They just, a lot of them just don't want to put in the work. So I just put in the work. So. I have pure chaos breaking out at my house right now. Just a quick update. A bird has flown directly into the window next to me and the dogs have lost their mind. So I may, <laughs> I may have to lose it for a second. There's, there's, it's calmed down now, but that was a great story. And in the middle of it, I was nearly killed by a bird out of a window within a foot of me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in my own feces right now. I'm not going to lie. During the clock. <laughs> that scared me to death. But you're, you're like my wife <laughs> in a horror movie. It's like there's going to be jump scares in every yeah. interview. There's at least one jump scare in every interview. This is it. So <laughs> that was it. You have to get used to it. I wanted and to ask you, Todd. Yeah. You went back to like when you said that the Spider-Man stuff and like how much of an icon it was. How how do they test for that? Because I know in radio you're frustrated constantly by doing something creative and new, and then they test what's always worked and say, oh no no, people are comfortable with this. When you test comfort, it's going to come back ninety percent. So how do they test something like Spider-Man versus a new Spider-Man, even though it's succeeding? Do they test the people who like it or the people who have no idea what it is? And then no, they just definitely go back to familiar. Uh, comic books are way more simplistic than that. They put out a book and they look at the sales and they, and then they just, they look at the sales next to another book or to the other books. So when they gave me a Spider-Man book, cause they said I wanted to write, and it set a record, then all of a sudden they're going, oh, this is the most popular of the four Spider-Man books. And, oh, by the way, it's selling more than any other character we have at the company. Cool, right? So it, to them, it's very, it's very easy. They just put out a book and they sit back. And in two or three months, they get enough data over three months to see whether anybody likes it. Uh, the, 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 look, at I, I talk to like business groups and I talk to people and my wife teaches at uh, ASU. She's a professor. And I always warn the kids that the thing that you're going to run into, the biggest enemy you're going to run into in your life, from my perspective, 
is status quo, people protecting status quo. It's the easiest thing to do, right? Which is, which is an odd human trait because the only thing that's sort of, that we know, there's only two truisms in life if we look at the dawn of man to today. One, we're all gonna die, so just check that box. And two, change, change. That's the only thing, like when you look at all those books, we've been constantly changing. So every time somebody tries to change and somebody tries to protect that, it, to me, it's going counter to the history of man. But uh, I understand it. They have millions, sometimes billions of dollars at risk. And so they get conservative trying to protect uh, those brands. And, those, and what happens is innovation starts to sort of contract. And then some other person who comes along, right, ask IBM about this kid in the garage named Steve Jobs, right? He just sort of sits there and says, hey, I've got this idea. They, sit, they, they will call you a rebel, quit rocking the boat. Why do, why, come on, just why do you got to do this? Why don't you just get along to go along? All the things, all the things are going to say because they, they don't have the warrior spirit in them. And then every now and then there's a few people that say, no, most of us get killed along the way because we're going against giants. But every now and then you get somebody who just has the idea and they succeed and it becomes not only so successful, it becomes the next status quo, right? Now Apple isn't the innovative, it's the new status quo and somebody's going to come along and show them how to do it one day. So, Do you think, uh, you know, because you have multiple businesses, with the toys, you yeah. know, that, those, those are all licensed characters, right? So you, I, I was listening okay. to some, I mean, I started it with all my characters. I'm sorry, not, yeah, I shouldn't say all. A lot of licensed characters. And I was listening to some interviews and you talking about some of those and how you try to put the little McFarland spin, but you got to kind of push, push them to little bits at a time. But my one, what I started thinking about here is you're talking, it's almost like, you know, with the, with the books themselves, you get to be more creative and do exactly what you want. And then you get the business side from the toys sometimes. So you get a little bit of both worlds. It's almost oh, like yeah. when we do stand up or whatever, like John does on the, you know, he does on the radio or whatever we do stand up or when I, I'll just say me, when I do stand up comedy, I get to do one thing. When I go and do television, they're telling me to do certain things. So whenever somebody would ask me, what do you like better? I'm like, well, they're two different things. And because I get to do them both at the same time, I love both of them. If I only had, to, they, people always ask that question, would you do this or that? And I've even, been a, I've even been a person who's done that. I did that to Dennis Miller a few weeks ago. Would you rather do this or this? And he yelled at me, I mean, Frankie, what are you thinking here? You wouldn't do either, Chachi. You know? So that, that, that element, I think, lets you grow. And, uh, and by the way, I've been working on my Todd McFarlane. Oh my gosh, Todd. That's my, that's all I got. So, oh my uh, gosh. It's, no, no, hey, I'll give it to you. It's, it's Rocky Balboa meets Homer Simpson, which is <laughs> an indigenous mumble. <laughs> oh, that's how it works. Oh my gosh, Todd. That's all I can do. Oh my gosh, Todd, Todd. Th th and that, that's turned into the Kuiper. Todd, 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 Todd. Eventually, eventually you get there. Uh, look at what they're asking you when you're doing more than one thing to say, hey, pick your favorite. And your answer is exactly right. They, they have different rules. So it's like somebody saying, do you, do you like sports? Of course I like sports. But you're asking me, you know, which one do I like better, baseball or football? They have different rules, right? So I like them both for different reasons because it's, I'm not playing the exact same game. So, yes, when I'm – look, at, I started my toy company 
for the same reason, because I couldn't get any satisfaction from the Fortune 500 companies, and I just went, fine, I'll go do it myself. How hard can it be to put plastic in a shape, right? I've been doing it since I was a kid. My mom used to buy a little jello mold, and I used to pour the jello in, and then all of a sudden you'd have a little T-Rex out of ch- and eat it, cherry. <laughs> about the same thing, a little complicated, more complicated than that. But um, so I started my toy company just to make it. And, and, and what I was going up against was when the big companies came, I just said, I want two things. I'd like to make a non-traditional toy and sell it in non-traditional places. But he, like they can't, they can't move off their game plan because like I said, they're billion dollar empires. If I had a billion dollar empire, I'd probably be doing the exact same thing they're doing. It's just that because they can't move that fast, then I just go, well, I'll go fill the gap. I'll, I'll fill the gap. You guys aren't filling the gap of stuff that appeals to kids that are over the age of 14 and, and just make them cooler. Make them cooler, right? And I found out the reason they weren't making them cooler and better was because, again, it was just a profit thing that if they didn't put two pick, more paint hits on their toys, that would be an extra nickel times a million units. That's real money to them. Or I'm a small company. I'm I'm, I'm not public, I'm private, so I just, I reverse engineer. Make it as good as you can, price it second, right? And then and show the value and then people will come. And I've been able to compete against the, the public Fortune 500 companies selling at Walmart, Target, Toys R Us, all the, I mean, I sell there. I, I'm, I'm right next to them. Like the, and people go, Todd, you think you're ever gonna be able to beat those big guys? It's a, it's a, again, it's the wrong answer. The answer is no. The question isn't, can I slay the giant? The question is, why can't the giant slay me? Why, why do I even have any space in Walmart next to them? They've got more money, more people. They've got more power. They've got more advertising. They've got more production. They've got more of everything, and they still can't squeeze me out. And there's only one reason why. They can't move fast enough to kill me. It's true. They're so slow. Like I'm a mosquito. I'm right here. And they go. And by the time they do that, I've gone, went around their head three times. And I'm now on this side of their head. They can never catch you. They can never move fast enough. So I can go into a Walmart meeting. We can have a conversation on Monday. I give them the answer. They go, Todd, can you do this? By Tuesday, I give them an answer. And if the answer is yes, by Wednesday, I'm already starting to design and get into the, the, the production of it uh, at the beginning of it. The big companies will take three weeks to have a board meeting that they can even contemplate answering the first question. I'm already three weeks down, down the road on it. So what are you talking about? Can't speed. Speed is good. Not only in sports, speed's good. Speed's good in business too. Be small and shifty. You know, go ahead. you bring up, the warrior spirit, you bring up sports. Uh, that's been kind of a common theme the last month on our podcast. We had Ed Milet, who played college baseball. We had Harlan Coben, who played college basketball. Harlan's uh, got 75 million books out there. And, of course, you played baseball, too, and it seemed like that was always number one, almost like your focus. You kept trying. I'm reading the story. It's like, you know, I screw up my uh, – my, what was your leg, your ankle? What yeah. In college? Well, look at, look at. So, so let's see if we can put it in context. I got into comic books because I sent out 700 samples over three years and I got over 300 rejections. I still wow. got the bag. I still have the bag. And people will say, well, Todd, what kept you going? 
the same thing that kept me going when I was 0 for 3 in a ball game. And the fourth time I stepped up to the plate, I still thought I was better than that pitcher. (laughs) (laughs) Now, again, now, again, intellectually, we know he's having the better day. But I never gave him the credit for that day until the game was over. Up until the last pitch, when I was 0 for 3, my attitude was, come on, dude, let me see you do it a fourth time. And if it was a close game and it was 4-4, it doesn't even matter that you got me out three times because if I rip a single with a guy in second right now, we're in the lead. I don't care you got me out three times. So, to like, there's, as an entrepreneur, let me just say, as an entrepreneur, there's never a moment where we think we're going to fail. It's our delusion. It's our delusion, right? The people who don't or who are not built for – starting their own businesses are the ones that are ready from the very get-go are looking like, well, Tom, no, I hear it, but well, what if, what if, what if it doesn't work? And what, and they're ready coming up with excuses. They're ready coming up with excuses. And so I found as I've gotten older, there's a personality trait that has to go with it. Right. And so I, you know, and, and here's the thing that's bizarre about the personality. Cause I mean, if you guys saw me, I was a little skinny lefty played, played center field. I shouldn't even been on the field is I can be in a room with eight other artists and they're all way better than me, twice as good as me. And somebody walks in, they go, uh, I need to hire somebody for a job and I get the job. And you know how I get the job? Simple. It's simple. Because when they said, who wants a job? I, like Donkey and Shrek, I go, oh, pick me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And the other eight that are better than me didn't raise their hand. Didn't raise their hand. And so- Love that. Half the battle is just saying, I'll do it. I'll do it. Even if you don't know, even if you don't know, look at my first big giant break in toys was when the Toys R Us buyer came. He was the Pope at that point. And he came to my little five by five booth, first toy fair I was ever at. I didn't even have a prototype. And he comes there and my big break wasn't that Toys R Us cared who I was. He had a 20 year old assistant that collected my comic books and said, boss, this is the guy I'm talking to you about. And my book was number one. So he asked me two questions. One, can you deliver this by May? Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) And two, can you get to me at this price? Of course I can. I didn't know either one of those answers. The answer is always yes. And then he leaves and then I turn and I go, shit, can we do either one of those? (laughs) Uh, and, And we did. And then the guy says, okay, if you do that, I'll put you uh, store wide at Toys R Us. Now, here's why that's big. Because they were the biggest toy guys. And then all of a sudden, the other guys that were saying no to you, I now get to walk into Walmart and I get to say, uh, Mr. Walmart buyer, I just wanted to let you know, because I'm like a courteous Canadian, uh, that your number one competitor, Toys R Us, has just gone store-wide with this thing that I've got. Now, they don't care what it is. It's called Spam or Prawn or Spawn. They didn't care what it was called. They just knew that Toys R Us was going store-wide and they couldn't be left in the dark. And so they go, sign me up. And then it tumbles. Then I go to Walmart, and or I mean to Target. Then I go to Kmart. Next thing you know, I'm across this country. I haven't even got a prototype yet. And I'm already in all the big stores. Here we go. So sometimes you need a dumb luck. And my dumb luck was a 20-year-old assistant that was a comic book collector, right? That you just, God bless that kid. I wish I remember his name, so. It's funny you say that because I remember a story you told on my show years ago 
about because I was, you know, as a big baseball fan, you and I started to go off on baseball a little. It was a while ago, but it was right oh, after you had kind of gotten into the McGuire bonds. Uh, you got the baseball, so so all those, and we had talked, and you said I spent three million dollars on the McGuire ball or thereabouts, whatever it was. Right. Yep. And then you said something kind of flippant about, well, I spent three million dollars to brand Spawn, and didn't get a sniff, but I spent three million dollars on this baseball, and all of a sudden Spawn started getting attention. Well, which well, was- well, more importantly, it was more importantly, I there's a couple of truisms. One of them is stick to what you know. I know sports, right? So. Well, I, I was in the toy business. I wanted to do sports and some of the licenses were starting to fall apart. The company that was doing the starting lineup. And of course they weren't letting me in. I was like a little boy. No, none of the big, none of the big uh, sports guys are going to let me in. And then I, I go, well, there's only one way to get into the poker game. You're going to have to ante up. And the ante to me was to show them that I, at least I could grab a headline and let them then, take that and multiply. So here's how it goes. They see a headline. Somebody pays $3 million on a baseball. They make a couple easy projections. One, kid must be loaded. It wasn't true. I spent every penny I had and had to borrow some to get those balls. Number two, he must be successful because he's so loaded. It wasn't necessarily true, but let him make that decision. And then they go, hey, you know what? He's knocking on the door. Bring him in, right? So, so very quickly, I ended up getting the NFL, the NBA, NHL, and uh, uh, basketball. I got all four, all, and MLB. I got all four sports, made my, made my ante back multiple times over. It's just that if I had spent that same $3 million on a Super Bowl ad, nobody blinks an eye. If I spent $6 million manufacturing, nobody blinks an eye. But you spend it on a $5 baseball. It wasn't, it wasn't a baseball I bought. It was basically getting them to unlock the door. So the, the, that's it. The punk, the punk could come in, and and I made I made all the money back. Call it advertising. Call it advertising. Did you what feel that? Impression? Did you feel that immediately? Did you feel like the headlines came right away, and you're like, "This worked," or were you like, "Holy shit!" for a couple minutes? Uh, no, I knew we were gonna get the I knew we were gonna get the headline. Um, so now the question was, could I convert it into what it was that I had just spent it on? which was getting the sports. Uh, and so I had these, <laughs> look at, I spent a lot of time with lawyers too, right? So that's a whole nother podcast we can go into. Uh, <laughs> but I had this moment where I was sitting there and I was in one of the, the four major sports and they had six of their lawyers there because I had gone to the union. You have to get two licenses. You have to get a, a license from the league so you can use the colors and the logos and the uniform. And then you have to get another separate uh, contract so you can use the player's likeness and their names. Those are two. So I, what I did was uh, somebody had dropped hockey. Uh, I went, I went in, in to the union. I grabbed the union for both baseball and for hockey. I, I actually did one line of generic hockey and generic baseball and generic uniforms, although I had superstar names on them. And then the NHL at that point – came and then they were going to sue me and they're going because I had Pavel Bure whoever in the generic uniform and and they were sitting there I go what are you talking about guys I'm in New York and I go I'm going to bring I'm going to bring my toy I'm going to give you all the reasons why mine is different they're going we don't care we're going to sue you and we're going to make you stop and it was an easy conversation because I don't even know why I have to have these conversations and I go okay so let's just have let's just see what your options are today your options is number one you can sue me and please do me a favor because if you actually Google me, I actually like going to court. 
So you might as well just do this because I'll be your poster child. Now, here's what you're saying to the, to the jury. You're saying that you own reddish. No, you don't. You own red. I'm, I'm doing like crimson. You think you own all red tones? You sell that to people. You think you own yellowish? You think you own, well, the, the stripe is four inches, mine's five? You think you own kind of four inches? Shit, you better. And here's the thing. If we go to court and you win, what's the best you've got? You already think you own all of that. You already, so your best day is status quo. But if you're wrong, even a little bit, not only do I get to do it, I'll make it my life's mission to make sure that the other 8 billion people on this planet know they can do it too. And you're going to have a lot of competition. Or, <laughs> or here's the other option. I'm trying to give you a million dollar guarantee. Let me use your logos. You know what? They went into the back room. They took the million bucks. What are you talking about? Why are we even having this discussion, right? It's like it's ridiculous. I'm trying to shove cash down your throat. Take the cash. Sometimes, like I said, you funny Americans sometimes, like as Canadians, we're not used to like your kabuki dances. I just like, I don't get it in Canada. If you say, hey, you want nothing or do you want something? Well, you can take something, but I don't know. You guys just go, we'll sue you. You try to give us something, we'll sue you. So, okay. <laughs> can I ask, Todd, do you treat your children like Americans since they grew up here? Or do you talk badly about them like you do <laughs> us? They are. They are. They are. I, I have to watch. My, let me just say I have to watch myself. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I have two out of the three are Yankees. So I have to control myself a little bit so that I just go, yes, that's your heritage. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But uh, I only play the dumb Canadian when it, when it suits me. Right. Otherwise, I, I have to sit there and lean, I lean over the board and I, I can be as ruthless as anybody else. But I just sort of I just sort of play dumb Canadian when it suits me. So it's good. <laughs> OK. And then a follow up on you being a Canadian baseball player. How does that happen when I mean, who's the greatest player from Calgary that grew up in Calgary, like major league player? Uh, right now, the young kid pitching for the Braves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, prior to that, if I, I don't, I don't know, it might've been Gern Blanston or somebody. Gern Blanston. Sure. Gern, Gern yeah. Blanston. Do you sell a lot of the toys of Gern Blanston? Uh, yeah. So, I have a Gern, uh, figurine here if you guys want. Yeah, do you? Well, he <laughs> me a five foot version of it. It's, it's you, guys just, you guys just went on a tangent of a tangent. That was the strands and the spaghetti yeah. webbing, Chachi. <laughs> That's what that was. No, we lost. We lost some of the crowd. Just we, we lost some of the crowd right there. So I want to know a little more about this. Okay, this, 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 this one. This one. This one's completely easy. When when I was younger, uh, my dad uh, moved us down to California. So in the formative year between like five and thirteen, I yeah I, I was in I was in SoCal No NoCal and and I just learned all the the sunshine sports. So by the time you go back, I moved back to Canada when I was fourteen. Back to Calgary. You, you have two choices, and life gets really sort of black and white when you're 14, and they say, hey, Todd, here's your two choices again, sort of like those lawyers at the NHL. Here's what you can do. You can either play hockey, and oh, by the way, all the kids here have been playing since they were six, and at best, maybe you can, you can carry the puck bag, uh, even if you work <laughs> so hard, or we don't play baseball. You just came from California. You may actually be the best kid in the entire city. Which one yeah. of those sports do you want to focus on, right? So – 
Did you go hog? Do I want to be a doofus or do I want to be an all-star? <laughs> these, are, these are crystal clear decisions. So that was it. I also think one of the most important words for you, although no is really big whenever you can say no to something, it's a big, it's a big deal. But for you, it seems to be or, because you have that, <laughs> that's how things are in your head, that you can do this or I can fix it for you right. and we can make I, it. Right, happen. right. I can draw Spider-Man the way you want or I can sell a million copies a month. <laughs> right? Like, you nailed it. There's I've just, never like, thought of it that way. But I, that's... Sometimes I'm looking, going, I keep thinking that Aston Kutcher's coming out because I'm being punked sometimes on these options. Because I go, come on, there's a camera because this is so obvious. This is a joke, right? What people want me to do. But look at it. Going up against Marvel and, you know, DC, which I do with our company now and, and Hasbro and Mattel with the toys and play. So I, I play with the big boys. You play with the big boys. And here's the thing when you play with the big boys, some, they got sharp elbows, right? Just like Gordy Howe. They got sharp elbows. Sometimes you have to be ready for it. So I've always told people, look, I try to be that nice Canadian kid that everybody wants. But here's, here's my line in the sand that I let you pick the tempo of, the, of how we're going to play. So you want to play in a courteous way? I'll be courteous. You want to play in a nice way? I'll play in a nice way. But you want to start throwing elbows? Then get ready for my elbow. I don't care if you're bigger than me. I don't care if you're tougher than me. I, like, I have no fear of the fight. So what's the worst that can happen? I fail. I fail. Cool. No big deal. I, to me, it's like cutting my hair. It'll grow back. I'll, I'll get up. I'll try and do it again. This is – look, at, I have a test for people. Anybody listening, you think you're an entrepreneur, I'm going to ask you a simple question. This is going to get most of you out of the – If you have you ever been the first person on the dance floor at a bar? If the answer is no, you may not be cut out for it because you give a shit about what other people think about you. When I go to a bar to dance with my sweetheart, I don't care about any of the strangers in that room at that moment. I don't care if none of them want to dance that day because my goal is to dance with my sweetheart. And if they don't want to, it has no, if they all want to dance, it has no bearing on whether I'm going to dance with my wife. And if they don't want to dance, it has no bearing. I don't care about what people think about me, right? This is the piece that sort of stops some people in their tracks. I'm like, like, wow, wow. Like, but this is it. It gets you in trouble. And there's a fine line between being sort of like, oh my God, Todd, you're, tenacious and and just being a jerk or being delusional and and being and and being steadfast there's a lot of different words i've been called all of them i'll take them all i don't care right? as long as they let me do my next job that's all i care and the only reason i need success just like all of you good gentlemen it's so they'll give us a job so we can do it tomorrow because if you don't have success they don't give you those options quite as much so i i have i have to figure out ways to succeed so they'll let me do art till i die I have a big or for you. I have a big or for you. You can okay. create a specialty figure, take a bunch of risk, or you can try crowdfunding and do a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> right? That's what that came down to, right? Like you, so you'd start a Kickstarter, and I yeah, just found I out about this recently. We have two guys in the wings that are super nerds that are going to ask you all the nerdier questions at the end that we didn't oh. hit on. Oh. Uh, uh, John Menti and Stevie, little Stevie Maurer. Okay. Um, but uh, 
you know, this is one of the things as I was looking over some of the stuff and uh, I knew a little bit about this, but you did a uh, uh, Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, my first one. Yeah. You've never done it before, which I, and a lot of people ask you questions why, and you're like, so I can get data, which was a brilliant, amazing answer because uh, I didn't think about it. But talk us th through that a little bit. So you, you start the Kickstarter, you don't know anything about it. Right, so, right. so we'll, we'll, we'll just look at it. I've, I've got two businesses I spend a lot of time in, a little bit in Hollywood, but the two big ones are toys and comic books. We'll call it plastic or paper, right? So you get asked it every time at the grocery store. So I'm in those two businesses. Right now, currently, as we sit having this conversation, there are no new comic books being published. We are shut down 100% new comic books. We're done, right? Marvel and why, why is that? Because there's no market. People don't have the money to buy them? No, the distributor shut down. And, and, and there's only one, right? There's, there's only there's one. No way to, there's, there's no way to distribute our book. So we can't get, there's, there's, there's fans and there's us making them. There's no way to distribute them to them right now. The distribution got shut down. So Marvel, not just my company, but Marvel and DC, there's no Batman and Spider-Man books being published right now. So, okay, there's one of my, my businesses just got shut down. The other one is now toys. Luckily, there's still some stores that are open. But I was already thinking about doing the crowdfunding that's not Kickstarter, it's called crowdfunding because there's multiple uh, websites. Why? Because to your point, I've never done one and I wanted to collect data to see if there was any relevancy to see if it meant anything to the company that does the business that I do at the size and the scope that we do. Maybe it's a good experiment, maybe it's a bad, but we won't know till we experiment. It's the raising the hand, let's try it. What's the worst that happened It doesn't work? So, and they, when the pandemic came, People, even in my own office, were trying to talk me out of it, saying, why don't we wait till it's over? And there was an easy answer for me, because everybody may be depressed and have no money when it's over. So I, I, to me, I think we should go now, right? When we're all delusional that we're actually going to all get through this. So let's go now. And so we put it out there. Uh, I, it was one figure, Spawn. It was a, you know, a remastering of the very first toy I ever did way back in 94 just to play a little bit of retro chic, you know, a throwback uniform, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we put it out. I had a goal of 100,000. Uh, thought maybe we'd get to half a million if we had a good time. The 100,000 was hit in 11 minutes, and we were within 30 hours, we were at a million, and eventually it tapped out at $3.5 million. We had the most backers ever for one of their toys, had the most money ever for an action figure. <coughs> Going like, wow, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even work in this that hard, right? I'm going, shoot, shoot. Maybe I don't need Walmart and Target, right? Hopefully they're not listening. But uh, <laughs> actually, the, we got the, a the, promo the, <laughs> or, no, no, or blackmail. Frank, Frank, Frank here's, here's the funny thing. The opposite has happened because I got a call earlier today in which one of my top salespeople was talking to uh, Target and they're going, how come we can't get in on that Kickstarter? Why did Todd do it away from us? And so now all of a sudden, you know how this works. The moment you sort of take away something that they, they were sort of taking for granted, all of a sudden they want it. So now they're going, well, well, come on, Todd, what do we need to do to get some of your cool stuff in our store? And it's like, shoot, give me more space. And they're like, okay, come on in, let's talk about it. So I got their attention. And then, and then when I'm dealing with, I've got a license for DC, so we're doing Superman, Batman. All of a sudden, the toy guys are all going, hey, can you do that thing for Batman that you did for Spawn? Like, oh, my God. The answer is, of course, of course. Give me back. You know, of course I can. And, then, and now 
Maybe I'm going to go talk to Marvel now and go, give me Spider-Man. Let me do a, a Todd McFarlane Spider-Man figure. Kind of cool. Make it look like my own artwork by the guy who actually did the artwork and let me put it out there on a crowdfunding. We'll crush it. What are you talking about? We'll crush it. So. What are those things on the, on the crowdfunding where you get to tears and you can add stuff to it? And I heard you talking about it before in an interview where you actually yeah, yeah. try to get people to add more. You started giving free stuff away because you were so far over right, and just giving back to the fans. So here's how it works. I, I learned this on the fly. They call them stretch goals, right? So it's like if you're at 100,000, you go, hey, if we get to 130,000, I'll give you this. So you're basically trying to squeeze people to either change and give you more, or go to higher spending plateaus. Uh, and, and get people to do it. And then when you get to 130, you go, oh, yeah. But if you go to 150, guess what I'll give you? So you're always getting them to squeeze. I, I did the opposite. And it was, it was an interesting result that we'd hit the number. I go, oh, my God, I got to a million. I'm going to give you stuff. And they're going, Todd, that's not how it works. You're supposed to go to like a million two, and you're supposed to make us give you more money. Then you give it to us. And they went, oh, no, no, that's okay. I, I got plenty. You guys have been kind to me. I'm giving it to you. And they're like, no. And so and one, then when I got to one, two, I gave them some more free stuff. And they go, well, what do we got to get to? What's the number? No, you already got there. You already got there. I'm just saying because you already got there. I'm ringing the bell saying it's good. You get it for free. It took, I think, almost all the way up to two million before they understood that it's like, you give me no money and I will give you free stuff. Or I guess you give me more money. And you're still getting the same free stuff. I don't know. <laughs> this, this is so. It you took, planted the ore on them, man. Oh my god! It took, it took probably 15 days out of that 30-day campaign before they went. So let me get this straight, Todd. You're saying that if we do nothing, we'll get something. Ding, 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 ding. That's what I've been saying for the last 15 days in the comments. Yes, I don't want any more of your money. I'm not that guy. I'll leave that to the Fortune 500 company that need to maximize profits and need to milk this cow all the time. I live in a world in which I believe from a business point of view, first off, number one, what would the 16 year old Todd want? Because he didn't have much money. And what he wanted was a cheap price with a lot of quality. Or if, if you don't need the money, don't, don't, don't try Don't try and get the money. Right. Because someday you might need it. So I've got lots of people in the comic book market and toy market that were squeezing their consumers and their, and their fan base. And now the pandemic comes and they get shut down and all of a sudden they need money and now they're trying to squeeze it and their fans are going, well, what are you even talking about? You've been doing it for the last 365 days. I don't have any more left. And I don't do that. And now all of a sudden I go, hey, I just got this one little thing. Is anybody going to take a bite of it? And it's like, boom, pennies from heaven because they go, Todd, Todd doesn't milk the cow all the time. He just, he moderates it. And I just sort of go when there's a need. When you're thirsty, drink. Otherwise, don't. You get bloated otherwise. Do you think that's Canadian? A little bit of the Canadian uh, in you? Uh, uh, I heard you talk I, about, I'd rather get a million, a $1 from a million people than a yeah. million dollars over five people or something like that. No, no, you, that, no. Well, wow, Frank, let's do easier math than that. Uh, 10 people at 100,000 gets you to a million. Or a million people at a box. Well, it's only two hundred thousand each. Right. I want, I want, I want a million people because I'd rather have a million people talking about what I'm doing than having ten people. So it's just good. It's good for business to have more people know that you're out there doing it. And the easiest way to do that is to just give them a good price. Look at I. I want. I. I went up against Hasbro, Mattel at Walmart and Target 
they had Marvel, they had DC, they had Star Wars, they had Transformers, they had GI Joe, they had it all. How do I survive? I don't have any of those brands, and and I'm a punk. There's only one way. There's only one way. I give them more plastic. I give them better quality, and I and I and I price it cheaper. Done. And if you take those three things, and then all of a sudden you actually put a brand on it, woo! That's a home run. That's a home run. So. Like I, I can beat them. I can beat them at their game because they have to maximize their profits every 90 days. They have a fiduciary responsibility. I understand it because I'm a boss. I know how that works. But because of it, I know how they're going to act. And it doesn't allow them to do things that I can do that will make my product look better in the marketplace so that a mom will walk by and say, hey, there's a Star Wars tour or there's a Big ass toy. It's the same price, maybe even less, and it's a lot of plastic. And my kid's crying, and I got to buy him what we call a shut me up toy because otherwise he's going to cry the whole day. So I'm going to buy him a shut me up toy, and it's like I can either buy that little piece of plastic that looks like it's going to break, or I can buy that quality product right there. It looks like it's four times as much plastic. Never underestimate plastic, gentlemen. Think of it as chocolate. You can get this chocolate bar for 20 bucks or you can get this chocolate bar for 20 bucks. If it was me, I'd take this chocolate bar every day. So I give them this chocolate bar. And so even if you don't have a brand name on it, people still understand three times as much plastic is still worth, is still worth something, right? So they go, wow, Todd's toy for 20 bucks and their toy for 20 bucks. Who cares that one's got a big brand name? I can, I can it's funny because I, I think back to when I was a kid, I had Shogun Warriors. Oh, yeah. And uh, the Shogun Warriors, there were the little Shogun Warriors, and then there were big ones. The little ones were metal, and they were awesome, and they were a pretty cool die-cast kind of figure. But the big plastic ones, was what the, that was what I really wanted, a big plastic toy right. with a belt that I couldn't read. Right. <laughs> Look, I'm going to tell you, gentlemen, because you guys are sports people. I'm going to tell you how they cheat. This, I'm going I'm to give you the great example of how they cheat. They were doing uh, toys – of hockey players, right? And, and this hurts because again, man, that's a dagger in my heart when you start talking about hockey. And if, I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the, the starting lineups, but they had them with their shirts tucked in, right? And so I go, look at, I understand Wayne Gretzky tucks one side in a little bit, but here's what we're gonna do. And I used to give them heck and the people from Hasbro Mattel go, we look, I go, why don't you look at photo reference? Because again, I've won dozens of awards for my sports figures. And they go, how do you get it so accurate? It's easy. I use a fucking camera. Uh, <laughs> you press a button, you get an image, and then you take your clay and you just make it so it looks like the picture. The question isn't how do I get it accurate? The question is how did they get it wrong during the whole invention of the camera for 50 to 100 years? So, but again, you want to give me an award? I'll take an award. I'll take an award for being a genius because I used the camera. Uh, <laughs> cool. So I used to sit there with the people at Hasbro Mattel and they go, we look at photo reference, Todd. And I go, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take this blank check. I'm going to put my name on it. I guarantee you there's a lot of money in this, in this account. You show me one picture of a hockey player who tucks his jersey all the way around from today back to the dawn of man. One piece of reference and you can have this check. And after three years, it got all ratty. I had to throw it away. So you know why they were tucking it in? <laughs> because most hockey jerseys, you know, at the bottom have three stripes. And each one of those is three pennies. So they were saving themselves nine cents. Who cares 
that it didn't look like what the reality of the world was. And then they even made what I thought was crazy that normally you put a sticker on there, right? So you've got Wayne Gretzky. No, 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 no. That's, that costs a penny. We figured out if you put a card in there, you can do it for half a cent. Okay, save yourself half a cent. But the problem was that the photo of the card showed all the things that you were getting wrong. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's got a captain's. Does he have a captaincy? No. Does he got the stripe on it? No. Does he have the number? No. Does he have four colors on his glove? No. no. Why would you put a checklist to say, here's how much we're cheating you? I thought it was a bizarre decision, but because we saved a half a penny, so we don't care if we're embarrassing ourselves at the same time. So that's it. So I put the C on the chest, and I put the stripes on the uniform, and all of a sudden, I'm some miracle worker. I got to tell you, if, let me tell you, if you want to look smart, hang around dumb people all day, right? You just look like a genius. I just somehow I've been hanging around pockets of people, industries that have been acting dumb. I act average. They think I'm Einstein. It's, it's, it's good for business. And you know what's funny? When, like you said, when you're 14 years old, you stop wanting to play with this stuff. And I think it's because your powers of perception start to realize this is just mass-produced plastic. Everybody's the same. They just put a different number on a few of these guys. And you start getting kind of pissed off that this $3 thing is it's the same Gretzky as it is Marc Messier. They just right. have different color paint. Oh. And when you came along and all of the things were accurate, the Larry Fitzgerald one stands out so much because his legs are the same. Right. You basically rebuilt his body in a cast, which is unreal. And yeah, you don't feel like you're getting ripped off. That's the Gentlemen, key. It was worse than that. It didn't matter that they used the same body. They'd put it in positions they didn't do. Let me tell you right now for a fact, because this is what their toy looks like for a fact. Derek Jeter has never done this. I can tell they're not athletes. They don't know how the body, I don't even think they know what the word torque means, right? So it's like, come on. So what they would do, and, and, he, and, and I came across it at one point because sometimes we would use a scanner and, and I use a lot of posing for it and I go, oh, I'm not big enough. So we ended up getting somebody to come and do some posing for us. And we got some Australian guy, not the Aussies because they're Commonwealth and, and we got a friendship there. But this guy was a just beautiful body, handsome young man. And then he said the words that I knew was gonna horrify me that day. I, I've never played sports. And I went, oh, my God. And so I needed to get him into, like, pose because he had this great body, and he couldn't do it. And it was essentially like our seven-year-olds going to school on picture day, giving you that bad smile. You know, that, <laughs> that terrible smile, right? And, again, for everybody, the answer to fake smiles, you get the cheeks up. Don't worry about the mouth. Cheeks go up. The mouth goes worth it. Don't worry about it. There's a way to do an insincere, sincere smile, too. So I, I had this guy sitting there, and he was trying to act like an athlete, but he, he wasn't an athlete. And after that, whenever I needed a big body, I just went and got a college player. And I went, hey, you, you know how the body moves, right? You know, you know how this works. It's guys. like a, on a sitcom when they would play basketball, and you could tell that they'd never – like in sports movies, it's so obvious that yeah. people have never played. But that's what made Urkel so great on Family Matters is he went on that – weird small basketball court but he could actually play a little bit and people are like wow jaleel white's an amazing athlete no he's just a normal human being that's played a little bit of sports <laughs> as opposed to somebody who's been maybe in the theater in their entire life not that there's anything wrong with that uh but it's <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it but there's 
one of those things where you, you go, you don't know what you're doing. The way you're throwing is you're stepping with the wrong foot and throwing. That, it, you watch that in sitcoms as a kid who grew up playing sports. You just were annoyed by it. And that's exactly what you're talking about there. Well, in, in the look at, I assume that all doctors, when they watch medical shows, are going, that's not right, that's not right. Looks good to us, the layman. So for any of us that have the knowledge of the trick, and again, in the, in the, if you're an athlete or you've played it or you've seen it, you know what the motion of the body is, right? So, what do you, of course, in almost every movie, almost every movie, the moment they move, I go, that's ridiculous. Like, what do you, that's ridiculous. Right? That's, not, that's not how you throw a baseball 89 miles an hour. Like, what are you talking about? It's a, but everybody else goes, oh, my God, Kevin Costner looks good on screen. I'm like, shoot. Are you <laughs> I, and so I, I can't watch. So, unfortunately – when, when, when you've been on the other side and you know how it works, when the people don't do it right, and they – look, at I'm a big nerd. I collect stuff. I could not collect those toys. I was not going to buy a fake facsimile of somebody that was Ken Griffey Jr. for two reasons. One, he's got his name on his back, and two, you painted him brown. I'm not going for that ride because I've got my Sports Illustrated, my poster sitting on the wall, and that's what he looks like. And when is somebody going to make that? So when I did it, I was just doing what I know a million other people wish they could have done because they all had the same ideas. I wasn't unique. I just happened to basically go and do it. And then all of a sudden, they all the legion of people went, yeah, that's what I've been talking about. It actually looks like them. Go go but i even had people like i would send photographers to the nba and, and get them to actually shoot their tattoos to make sure i got the tattoos right and there's nothing worse let me tell you nothing worse than when you think you got it right and you made that that all-star and you got a boatload literally a boatload coming from china to america and then the dude gets a new tattoo oh. <laughs> and now you're not current now you're not current that's <laughs> amazing Hey, on the, another subject that I, I, one of my favorite music videos is Freak on a Leash by Korn, which I found out today you directed. So what was it like to direct music videos and how did that, how was that different than doing movies and why have you not done more of those? Um, yeah, I should, right? So, uh, so, <laughs> so, so, so here's how it worked. Uh, let's go real quick. Let's uh, we, 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 I leave Marvel, we start Image, Image I create Spawn, Spawn goes on, hits the top of the charts, and then I get a bunch of offers. One of the offers I got was to go and do some animation at HBO. I make the deal with HBO saying, hey, here's the deal, I'll give you Spawn, but I basically get to oversee the project. By the way, I've never done any animation ever. They said yes. I always like it when they foolishly say yes. Uh, but that's you, that's you. <laughs> I tell every one of my employees every day, ask for a raise. The worst that happens, I say, no, you're getting paid the same amount. There's no downside to asking. Like, this is the piece that's like, you're in the same place if they say no, right? So I, I, they said yes, though, so you got elevated. Uh, we, we ended up winning a couple Emmys on there. And during one of those seasons, I don't know when it was, I, I get a phone call from uh, Eddie Vedder, like out of the blue, not like I knew him. And he goes, Don uh eddie and i'm like uh hey eddie uh and it's like you know record label sort of bugging us and they want us to do a, a music video now this is when everybody's doing a music video they don't want to pearl jam doesn't want to do a music video but the record label saying we got to do one I haven't done one forever so we got to do one 
but I was just watching that spawn animation and I now know how we can do it. Let's animate it so we don't have to be in it, which is even cooler <laughs> that they don't even want to be in their own video, right? <laughs> Usually you've got the, the, everybody and they're all arguing about how much camera time you get. These guys are going, how do we do a music video and not star in it? So I just thought that was pretty cool on their, on their behalf. Um, we go put out the, that, that one was called Do the Evolution. It gets nominated for a Grammy. We lose to Madonna. She had some big song that year. I'm like, oh, darn it. But I went, wow, you just do something. You get nominated for a Grammy. Then somebody saw the Do the Evolution, and then they went, hey, you want to do it? Corn, which was the band we're talking about on Freaking Release, they had done some work on the Spawn movie, and they are part of the soundtrack. So I knew them a little bit. Uh, and they said, hey, Todd, we're doing another one. That one was actually the return. We lost him. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting to see if you guys could still hear. Yeah, no, but that's the greatest promo right there. Is yeah. There, there he is. There he is. Oh, he's in a new room. Whoa. <laughs> what just happened? You did that? Did time you... warp? I'm getting closer to the router. <laughs> <laughs> Might have done it because I either that or he's trying to rickroll you. So wait a second. You could do this on a computer sitting at your desk, or you could hold the phone in the middle of your house. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting a little bit closer to my router there. But anyways, the the we do the corn video and it goes. We won a Grammy for it, and that's another one of those ones. I don't I don't, I, I don't I can't read a lick of music. Never played an instrument. I've got a Grammy, right? So <laughs> these are these things that I try to tell kids. It's like you never know where the path is going to go until you basically sort of attempt it. So you can, how do you win a Grammy and know nothing about music? You just direct, produce it, package it. Something like you just figure out the back door. I'm a, I'm a complete back door guy. I, I, I just know how to get there even if I can't, right? I was, I was uh, for a while, for 10, 15 years, I was a minority owner of the Edmonton Oilers, and we came within one win of winning the Stanley Cup against the Hurricanes. I, because we were the owner, I would have got a ring. I mean, and for me, <laughs> other, than, other than owning the Grey Cup, I could have had a Stanley Cup ring and I, and I can't skate? Oh, my gosh. That was the complete backdoor. That's the best backdoor you can have. So I don't care how we get there. I don't, I'm not proud. So. <laughs> would you have gone to your high school reunion if you'd have won that Stanley Cup? Uh, because I can't imagine having a, a Stanley Cup ring at your high school reunion if that wouldn't be the greatest thing you could bring back to Calgary. Uh, you can, look, at, it gets better than that, gentlemen. If you win the Stanley Cup, you get to have the Stanley Cup for one day. It goes around. Yep. They rotate it. So I would have duct taped that thing to the top of my Volvo and I been sitting there with the big LED lights going around, and I would have gone up and down all the streets of Calgary, and I would have been like, what are you talking? I would have been a hero. I would have been a hero that day. Had them flashing the bling, the bling would have been secondary. I would have had the Volvo with the with the Stanley Cup. Come on, guys, those you are the moments. I was so close. Those are the moments. You, can, you can get hit by a bus the next day and go. I have had a full life, right? So you can do that. Or you could have a spawn <laughs> figure in the Stanley Cup, and oh, then that's your next baseball. Yeah, I want to backtrack for a second. I got to bring the fireside guys in a little bit. Are you good on time? You all right? I'm great on time. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Kickstarter, does that do anything for you? Because that's spawn. 
Does that do anything for you in Hollywood? Do they go, oh my God, people really do love Spawn. This is, does that help you with yeah. the Spawn movie? Yeah, uh, it, it does. It does incrementally, right? So last year when, you know, Spawn went to 301 and we got the Guinness Book World Record, I made sure my agents got that information, right? Why? Because they're not then going to be doing something of a character that used to be popular, right? He's winning Guinness Book of World Record. Issue 300 uh, that came out, obviously, the month before, 301, uh, was the second highest order comic book in all of comic books in 2019. The second highest. The only one that beat it was Batman Detective 1000, right? Issue 1000. Spawn was number two, and then everybody else. And then in the top 11, I wish it was the top 10, but in the top 11, there's only one title that was named twice in terms of sales, and it was Spawn. Spawn 300 at, at number two, and Spawn 301. There wasn't even in the top 11, there wasn't even one Spider-Man. There wasn't one Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, or, or Superman comic book. And I had two. So, and, and Marvel and DC own like 95 of the top 100 slots. So even if you're a billion dollar company and you want to go and grab something, Disney's not going to give you any of their Marvel stuff and Warner Brothers is not going to give you any of their DC stuff. So you're, you're down, you're picking off the top five and that's like, you know, The Walking Dead, my partner at Image uh, created that. Um, and then things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles are already taken. The only thing you can get your hands on is Spawn. And after that, you got to go to like number 144, right? So I don't get it. I don't get why you guys aren't doing this thing. But luckily, they're starting to wake. They're starting to wake up to it. We're negotiating to grab one more giant player, and to, and to show you sort of the same resolve that I had. I I walked in and I go. I I write, produce, and direct this movie. Otherwise, you never get the rights. And they went, okay. Let me see the script. Right. So. So now we're sitting there. I didn't, I couldn't quite get them off the, the, their chair on the script. So, but I still go, it's going to, I still have two non-negotiables. I direct it and, and, uh, and it's R rated. And then I go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go attach people to it. First person I got was uh, Jason Blum from Blumhouse. They've done like get out and insidious and the purge. And they just come out with invisible man. And they've done all those sort of cool, creepy movies. Um, and so people want, oh, my God, he does want to do a, like a non-superhero movie, which I said, I want to do a creep movie. I don't want to do a superhero movie because I don't have enough of a budget that we're going to be able to do all the special effects. And then I go, now it's time to go get uh, a star. And Jason uh, was like, oh, you know what, it's going to be low budget. You probably don't, don't put your bar too high. And I went, hey, I remember meeting Jamie Foxx years ago. I'm going back to Jamie because he said he wanted to do Spawn. I got Jamie in two seconds. Jamie jumped on board. He still phones me twice a week saying, when are we going to go? And then it was like, okay, you got your A guy. Like, that's enough talk. Like, a first-time director, don't get greedy. And then I went, no, I think I'd take one more shot. I think I'd take one more three-pointer. Uh, we ended up getting Jeremy Renner, the guy who plays uh, Hawkeye in The Avengers. But to me, it was he had done some other movies, The Hurt Locker and Wind River and Kill the Messenger that were made way more important. So now I've got that. And now we're negotiating literally this week uh, with another – giant like this will be a giant headline right if i can get this 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 fish up on the deck this will be a giant headline and then the studios will come because they're going to look at what it is 
that I've surrounded myself with. And they'll go, it's not that we want Todd. We want Spawn, but we'll put up with Todd because he's putting this all-star team around him. And if you basically put nothing but good people around you, you get great results. Look at Bradley Cooper directed A Star is Born. Take a look at that movie and tell me that looks like a first-time director because he was smart enough to put smart people around him. So it looks like a real movie by a vet. So I'm going to do the exact same thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I, I'm just way too dogged not to get there. We're going to get there. And Joker, you think, helps you too by that being oh. serious? Oh, yeah, because for three years I've been saying dark R-rated serious movie and they're like yes little boy yes little boy we know what to do we do billion dollar superhero movies and 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 obviously if i was doing the avengers and, and justice league I'd, I'd be protecting that too but then i remember i was at new york comic-con and i and i said everybody when I, everybody make sure that you go to see the joker because this thing makes 200 million dollars globally like all of a sudden hollywood's very good at copycatting and they're going to want then serious dark stuff. And that thing made over a billion dollars, a billion dollars. It, it broke the record for the most money by a R-rated movie. I don't care whether it was superhero or not. R-rated period in the history of the industry, it beat the record by 33%. And so it was like, go. And now all of a sudden they're like, hey, you know what? Maybe we can do serious dark R-rated comic book stuff like The Joker. Ding, 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 ding. And oh, by the way, that thing that was like number one for a couple months last year and is the only book that was two in the top 11, I'm holding it in my hand. Who wants it? Who wants it, right? Are but you I'm dead set on film, theatrical release, or you don't care? Because, I mean, it's weird because streaming seems to be that all these uh, big-time stars are streaming now, and yeah. you can do more, and you can artistically do what you want to a lot more. It's almost the bargain, especially now with COVID and everything, the, the theaters are going to struggle for a while. Yeah. Um, you can't even go there. But streaming, you know, we're, we're talking to Harlan Coben, and he, he's releasing. I think Spawn's a little different. That's your baby. You've already seen it done a few different ways. I heard you talking about Eddie, Eddie Brock's not supposed to be a tiny little guy. Yeah. Or uh, Venom's not supposed to be a guy. He's not Eddie Brock. He's this huge guy. And I'm watching you know, Spider-Man 3, and that's not right at all. And, but you can do it your way. It, and it might be even easier to go streaming, but you're not. Or you could go for uh, the here, here's And the answer is yes, because, again, never be, you, don't, you never want to get married to your position because the public will tell you what direction they're going, right? And now with the pandemic, we don't know what the, what the, new, what the new landscape's going to look like. Something's going to have to change a little bit in the model because a lot of the – the offers from the streamers, the you know the Netflix and those guys, the disruptors, is they want to own everything. So what they what they do is that they would say, Todd, here's a chunk of money, and it's here's a chunk, and it's final. Is that enough money for you to basically let go of your baby? Period. Right. So they just they just buy you out. Um, where if you go into the theaters and depending what kind of deal you can get. And you've read about these ones. You get a, a bit of a back end deal. If it goes to the moon, then you 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 go you go for a little bit of a ride to the moon too. So um, I, I'm I'm not quite there yet to say oh unless I find that you know because the world shifts and there's no other choice. My guess is that everybody's not going to take that deal, so they're going to have to shift the deals. So then the deals will become a little more like the theatrical deals. 
and then and then you'll see people going, well, between the two, I can I can do just as good on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, and so maybe those deals will get me. Well, there might even be a situation where theatrical ties into streaming even more, <laughs> and you get best of both worlds. You have- okay, I've been saying, Frank, I've been saying for years, I don't get why Disney doesn't say new uh, Star Wars movie. Hit a button on your computer, one dollar. I think they would open up to a billion dollars that next day. Like, what do you like? They keep getting excited about two hundred million dollar opening. You would open up to a billion, and the next day, half those people would give you another buck to watch it a second time. So you'd be up to a billion and a half. There's only been you can almost count on fingers the number of movies that have made a billion and a half dollars. You get there in 40, 48 hours. Like, what are you talking about? But what if you charge? Two dollars. I still think you. What are you talking about? You still get there. Instead, they're going. No, no, no. Let's let's charge nineteen ninety nine. No, come on. This is you. This is what I was saying before. No, you want a million people at a box. Give it to them for four or five bucks, like, and you'll get half the population on this planet will basically download it. Come on, come on. Well, look at how people buy airline tickets. Are used to people. People look for one dollar cheaper. Like any anything you can, a coupon, anything people can do to get feel like they're getting a deal. Suddenly, it's a whole different ball game for people. I yeah. think. I mean, I, I never even thought that way till I'd heard you talk about it in an interview, and I'm like, geez, that's a. I mean, and I don't want to. I'm using the term buy loyalty, but you gain people's loyalty. By giving them something, by giving them a deal. They, you, you were talking about the, in, on another interview, the, the Kickstarter, you keep throwing these things in. You're like, $85. This is plus, then you, that's not even the figure that I promised you from the beginning. It's $85 oh. worth for 40 bucks. You, this is, and people in the end go, oh my, oh my God, Todd, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So here's, because here's, here's what businesses will do because they have to maximize profits every, every 90, 90 days. Sometimes they do what I call the brown banana business. Model and the brown banana model goes something like this because I've seen it even in the comic books and toys. They they go, oh my gosh, nobody's buying our toys. We're making less money. They're twelve ninety nine. Nobody, you know, what we got to do. Oh, they're buying half, so we're gonna have to get the money back. So what do we got to do? Raise the price to fifteen ninety nine. So so first off, the people that stayed, the half that stayed, which is the loyal half. Your answer to them, your thank you to them is you now have to pay $3 more, right? And oh, by the way, the reason that people, half of them left was because they thought your quality maybe wasn't quite as good. And so your way of selling them an inferior quality product is to raise the price. This is the brown banana. Oh, they won't buy the yellow bananas at a buck a pound. But now that they're starting to rot and turn brown, let's raise the price to buck fifty, right? Because if they weren't buying the bananas, when they're yellow, sure, my gosh, we got to get the money back while they're rotting. It's ridiculous. And eventually the fans know that you're taking advantage of them. They know, the consumer knows when, when they're going, I'm not getting my value. I'm not getting my value. I'll go someplace else that will give me my value, right? This it's- ties in with that, the crowdfunding, the whole thing. What do you, when you press that button or how, whenever it goes up and in the 11 minutes, what do you think? Do you get to see increments coming in at, in real time? Yeah. Or, I've never done it before. And yeah, I, no, I, me neither. It's like going to Vegas and you pull the slot machine and you hit. And it just goes. And I was sitting there going, oh, my God. I even got a video. I'll go, oh, my God, it's up to 11,000. I was, I was happy at 11. I'm going, woo, 11,000. And then my, my wife called me. I went downstairs. 
And then by the time I came up, 121,000. I went, what? We've already, we've already hit our goal? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and, and it's just going, ding, ding, ding. And then, and then it sort of goes into a lull in the middle. And then there's a lot of procrastinators or people who say, I'm going to wait to see how many freebies they tack on to see whether I want to buy this. So I had a whole list of all the freebies. And at the end, ding, 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 ding. I mean, it did the same thing at the end that it does at the beginning. It's like you're sitting there going, wow. It's like you just put it up today. So, yeah, it went. It went. I think I had my best day was the last day of the entire campaign was the last day. Do you want to go into a crowdfunding deal with us? And uh, (laughs) uh, uh, between the two of us, between uh, you and our podcast, I'm sure we could get like three million (laughs) dollars. Here's the thing that, that surprised me. A whole, I, I, the thing that was the most popular was the highest price thing. I, I, I cringed. I cringed at the high price. It was, uh, I think, 160 bucks, right? So the low end was 40. The high end was 160. But you got three triggers and, and an autograph. So, okay, you know, it was basically 40 times three plus the autograph. Um, bam, that was the one that they all wanted. And I'm like... Wow. At a time when people are getting let off or furloughed or whatever, like they're going for the big mark. And then they were complaining that they couldn't buy multiples. So I put in a couple other levels so they could buy multiples, which is weird that Kickstarter doesn't have a way you can buy more than one. Uh, And so I did one where it's like you could buy the 160 twice. That became the, of all the new add-ons, that was the most popular of the add-ons because I went to 320. Like I'm so yeah, it's weird to me because I would never do it. But I'm like, okay, cool. God, God, God bless you guys. And that's coming from an atheist. Well, once my friends Stephen Maurer and John Menti from WelcomeToFireside.com got going with their questions, it got a little technical, a little nerdy for this podcast. So that portion of the interview can be found at WelcomeToFireside.com. A lot of cool stuff there. Just a, quite a bit more inside the industry, the nerd industry. So... Remember, you can also find video of this podcast at caliendocast.com or on our YouTube channel. And this is how we ended the interview with Todd McFarlane with information about his bladder. Hey, I'm going to let you go with one. I'm going to let you go with one story. Why my, I got such a good bladder. Uh, <laughs> I, my, my dad said, son, I know you're, you're into comic books. The greatest gift my mom and dad ever gave me when I said I wanted to draw, they gave me a drawing table. They, they don't know how much that mattered. I used that table literally up until a few years ago. I drew every page of my life on that table. Show uh, it to me. It's got to be in that house. <laughs> yeah. Well, but inst- instead of a parent saying, hey, you should become an accountant, like, why do you want to be an artist? You know, it, it's like saying I want to be a ball player and they bought me a glove or something, right? I mean, it was, it was the best gift they could have given me and they, they didn't know how meaningful it was. But anyways, my dad says, hey, there's this thing called San Diego Con. It was still a fraction and wasn't even at the convention center, but he goes, I'll drive you down to San Diego from Canada. Like, what are you talking about? So I go, okay. And every night I'd get woken up with my dad. I was sharing the room and he'd get up and he'd like, and he'd go and he'd flush the toilet and he'd come back to bed. I'd go back to sleep two hours later. I go, what are you doing? Oh, I just got to go to the bathroom. Third time, it's like five in the morning. He's sitting at the edge of the bed. I guess he'd pissed. I, I, I slept through it. 
and he's eating, <laughs> he's eating his nacho chips. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing in his Speedo eating nacho chips at the edge of the bed, waking me up for the third time? And, it, and I vowed on that day that I would never, I will train, I will do Kegel exercises, I'll do anything I have to to never do it. And then I was out camping, I was out camping with guys like you and I was telling them this story and all of them were like, yeah, so what's the point of the story, Todd? And I went, oh, you guys too? <laughs> Up in the middle of the night? And that was it. And I vowed, and now I can go like two days. I like, forget getting up in the middle of the night. I can go two days because just, I'm just, I've made a pact in my life that I will not wake up and eat taco chips at five in the morning because I can't go back to sleep ever and keep my son awake like my dad did. Loved them to death, still love them. But I just, it was a horror story. So that's it. So there are just moments that sometimes <laughs> your parents, your parents have, have like these moments on you that are actually valuable. He's the chief David Blaine of holding his bladder. He's like, <laughs> like he'll be out. You should be in the middle of Manhattan in a, like a, in a glass uh, thing. <laughs> and you're holding your bladder. People are drinking by you. They're spraying. And you're like, ah, like spawn. You're looking at him. I love this. this but people crazy. are watching and going, oh, my gosh, Todd. Oh, my gosh, Todd. <laughs> okay. A couple months ago, I was in Florida. I was doing a signing for CGC. This is a company that grades book. You know, you guys ever seen the books where they grade it and they give a, a thing on it? And I told them, hey, I don't go to the bathroom. I don't eat whatever else. I, and because they had so many books, I had to put in like, I go, I, I, we're putting in a long day. I was getting there at seven, starting to sign at seven in the morning and signed all the way to midnight for five days in a row. So I could get through the pile as fast as I could. And I never left the table and they had to come in shifts, right? At first they thought it was a joke. And then they're like, oh my gosh, like, I got to go to the bathroom and it's like, well, you better get somebody else in here to take your spot because I'm not stopping. Right. And then they and then they figured it out that they had to have shifts of people for potty breaks and for eating and for drinking. And I just went like 17 hours nonstop. And they're like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense, Todd. It doesn't make any sense. But anyways, we I have the ultimate show. When we can get back in the studio, I'm going to make Todd come over here. <laughs> we can be around together and Lovitz and Todd McFarland together would be the greatest <laughs> show of all time. John Lovitz was fantastic with us too, but it was crazy because Lovitz, he, <laughs> Lovitz was different because Lovitz, we kept going, okay, we probably have to get, you probably have to go, right, John? No, I don't want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Jealous? Yes. Look at guys, look at it. I'm going to give you the secret. You got, I'm going to give you guys all the secret. This is easy stuff, gentlemen. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. It's that simple. <laughs> if you don't eat or drink, you don't have to do anything else because nothing's coming out. This is easy math. In moderation, so, in moderation, Todd. You eventually, <laughs> people listening, have to eat and drink. Don't think it in moderation. Once you've done the convention or signing your book, once you've done the goal, right? Once you're done playing your nine innings of baseball, then you can go ahead and take a shower. You're playing baseball right now. Forget the shower. Forget whatever it is your personal needs are right now. You're playing baseball for the next three hours. Go, go. So to me, it's just it's just a competitive thing for me. It's okay. <laughs> it. You guys you're don't a competitive have to do it. Competitive <laughs> urinating. <laughs> it's I've tried that before. Yeah. I'm a, okay. I lose every time. The two things that will leave with this. The two things that have been the greatest was uh, for me with Todd. It was him spending so much time with my daughter. I see him do that with so many people. Whenever I text him about something, uh, it's always about how much he likes Juliet more than me. That's always a big thing. 
And the yeah. greatest text I ever got was Juliet has to be careful. Who am I going to give my company to when I die? That was the great. That was, I'm holding onto that text forever. And I'm leaving. Even look at the look at his face. I did that. Oh my God, Todd, why did I do that? Look at, uh, look at, just so you guys know, first time I meet Frank. He doesn't he, want me to pee. He's, he's, he's never going to. First time I meet Frank, he's with Juliet and his lovely wife. But Juliet's there. She's this lovely young lady that's an aspiring artist. She's got her book there, right? But. I've been at it long enough that you start to sort of read the signals. And so as she was showing me her drawings, to me, they were metaphors for, oh, my God, save me from this guy who calls me his dad. Give <laughs> <laughs> me that look. You know that look you've seen before that says, can you adopt me? Right? You know that? It's very fleeting. I don't know if Frank even saw it, right? And then, and then she walked away. Even in her gait, even in her gait, it was like, please heed my message right as she's walking away so she was giving me all no no, no you misread it she had to pee <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, i took i took i took out the adoption papers at least <laughs> i'll let you for knowing what i know about you take her it's good <laughs> you know what's crazy through this entire podcast todd's gone to every room in his house not one of them had a toilet in it <laughs> yeah, I know. there isn't a toilet he doesn't have a bathroom Frank, he might trade you a couple pages of Spider-Man for Juliet. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. <sighs> this has been unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd. Right. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, right, Todd. Thank Everybody you, Todd. That was... You're the best. Oh, my right. gosh. This enjoy, was great. Enjoy it. So good. Thank you. I'll send you uh, all six parts. Right? <laughs> <laughs> go, go, go make your bladder gladder. Yeah. <laughs> Go make your bladder. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you. There it is. Thanks, Appreciate boys. it, Todd. All right. Be good. Take care, Todd. Be good. All right, guys.